Hey, uh, we're in this new little series on Jesus stories, and it's kind of this part of this whole year, which we've called the Year of Redemption. And, uh, you know, after last year, we thought we needed a year to actually redeem this year in the name of Jesus. And uh, I'm going to give you a quick recap on, on last week, uh, because most of you were at your batches last week. <laughs> not that I'm bitter about that. It's <laughs> 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 all right. <laughs> but uh, it's a little bit of the why behind the series on Jesus on Jesus' stories. And part of it is, I think we need to preach Jesus. I think that's, uh, that's an important part of what we should be doing in church, that we tell the Jesus stories and who he was and what he did. Uh, who likes stories? Yeah. I like stories. I, I, I love stories. And I think there's, there's tremendous power in stories, and we see ourselves in different stories. And uh, Jesus spoke in parables. And, and I love the way that Jesus uh, talked to different people in different situations. He addressed different people in different situations. And so last week we looked at four different um, ways Jesus approached people. And so the first thing was to the crowd, uh, when was Jesus, whenever Jesus was speaking to a, a crowd, um, to the curious observers, he always used a story. And uh, Matthew 13, verse 34 says, Jesus, how often? Always. He always used stories and illustrations like these when speaking to the crowds. In fact, he never... never he never spoke to them without using such parables. However, when he's speaking to the disciples, to the seekers of truth, he, he explained everything. So these are the treasure hunters, the people who are going, man, I want to find out more about Jesus. I want to find out more about the gospel. I'm going to seek for truth, the hidden treasure. So Mark 30, 33 verse 34, Jesus used many similar stories and illustrations to teach the people as much as they could understand. In fact, in his public ministry, he never taught without using parables. But afterwards, when he was alone with his, his disciples, he explained how much? Everything. Everything to them. And so he, once he got alone with the boys, he said, okay, this is how it works. Understand this. This is how it all goes down. And uh, the third thing we talked about is to the hostile, okay, to the people who were anti-Jesus and those who were trying to trick him, tried to trap him, tried to trip him up. Those who weren't really searching for the truth, Jesus always responded with questions. And he was brilliant around it. Um, there's a little example where the, the Luke 20 there, uh, where the teachers of the religious law, the Pharisees, were coming at him, and they're trying to take him down. And it was kind of, always kind of, so where's your authority come from? You know, why are you healing on the Sabbath? What are you doing? And um, Jesus, he, he'd always answer those people with a question. And, uh, and I think it's like the best politician you'd ever see. You know, it's, it's like the, uh, the Winston Peters of, uh, of the gospel. He's never ever answered a question properly in his whole life, I don't think. But he, Jesus always, he, he, he asks them a question. And you can see it through. He, you know, who should I, who's going to pay the taxes? Who should I pay the taxes to? You know, all these things, he asks questions. And the last fourth thing we talked about, to the broken and the drowned trodden, to the pressed outsiders, he always spoke healing, he spoke forgiveness, he spoke peace to them. He spoke the goodness of God to them. He spoke comfort. He always invited them in. Your sins are forgiven. You're healed. And, and it's interesting, and I think in today's society, especially in today's society, we need to get a little bit clever and work out who we're talking to. Yeah. Where's our social media post going out to? When, you know, when we're with the, with the crowd and out there, tell stories. You know, when we're when with, the, with the hostile, ask questions. You know, when we're with the broken and the lost, we need to bring love, comfort, forgiveness. How do we do that? Um, when we're the disciples, we're, you know, we need, we need to explain everything. This is how it works. And um, so over the next few weeks, uh, we're looking for Jesus stories, okay? And we're thinking about three types of Jesus stories. There's Jesus stories from the Bible, 
Okay, that makes sense. We should do that. Uh, there's Jesus stories of God at work in our lives today. Testimonies, stories of faith. Um, so we're starting to uncover a few. But if you've got a good story, let me know. I'm excited over the next few weeks. We're going to be hearing from a few different people some of the stories of God in their lives and what God is doing, and, and that's going to be cool. And the, the, the third thing is stories from the land, uh, from the whenua. Um, and and I, as I've been reading um, some of these of big books, like... Um, <laughs> Bible and Treaty by this guy Keith Newman is, um, is a must read. It's a great book on the early missionaries and what they did. Um, this book here, Mana from Heaven, which talks about all the early Māori prophets and, and what they did and what they saw. Incredible. The stuff they prophesied, the stuff they saw, and, and the transformation of the New Zealand is absolutely amazing. And uh, there's another book, Here We Come Home, uh, which is actually James's book. Which I borrowed, lent to somebody. Who yeah, who's who's got that, that, that book owner? I'm looking more out of my coach. No, I was the reader. We'll have to buy it. Whoever's got that book? Yeah, but there's these stories, and, and, and I think we we need to tell those stories. We need to tell some of the stories of New Zealand and, and what happened and, and how God moved. And um, so we'll be doing so over the next few weeks. That's it. Story time. You like story time? Yes. Come on, we're going to tell some stories. Okay, so um, today's story, and uh, where we're going to start today, this is the thought of the day, that live like you've been redeemed. That we need to actually live like we have read the gospel message, that we've received the gospel message, and this is, it's, the, it's like we've won the jackpot, right? Okay? That we've found, that we've found the buried treasure, that we've found the pearl of great prize and that we've received the greatest gift ever. Because we have, right? Yes. We, we, we need to understand what Christianity has actually done for us. You know, when we read through the, the prodigal son story, my question is, how did the son live going forward? And we don't really know because the story finishes. But did he live redeemed? You know, when he received forgiveness, when he received the sandals and the, uh, the ring and the robe, um, did he put them on? Did he actually live redeemed or did he return to a slave mentality? My hope yeah. is that he goes, man, I'm the son. I'm back in the house. And, and he lived this redeemed life of, of, of brilliance. And um, we need to live in a place where there is this going, man, I'm amazed. God actually loves me. God has redeemed me. God has set me free. God has placed, you know, got a place for me. He's planned out a pathway for me. And, and around that. So this morning I'm going to watch a little video of one of these uh, stories of the land. And this is a Torori story. And um, I was going to tell you the story and then I found a little video which will tell the story way better than, than I can. And it's, the guy is this guy, Keith Newman, who wrote this book. Um, he's a New Zealand historian. Uh, he's studied the early missionaries, and he still tells this little story of Tarori, and she gets this little book of Luke, which was um, um, translated by this guy, William Colenso, right, early printing press, they got the printing press in to New Zealand, found some parts, made it all work, and they printed the printing press, uh, the, the book of Luke, off, and she had one around her neck, and um, yeah, what's the story? <coughs>
one of my heroes in the gospel story is uh, the Māori Huhepa uh, Ripahau, who also became known as uh, Matahau. Uh, he was from uh, Ngāti Raukawa, uh, down on the Kapiti coast, and he'd been taken slave like so many were during the land wars. And he'd attended uh, the missionary schools in the far north, and on his release was heading back home to the Kapiti coast when he came across a camp of warriors who'd been uh, at Matamata and they had sacked the mission station there, Reverend Brown's mission station. And one of the one of the spoils of war, if you like, was a little gospel of Luke Teruka that had been printed by William Colenso um, in 1834 in the Māori language. And this had been ripped off the neck of the little girl Teruri, this little 11-year-old girl who'd been uh, caught up in the, in, in the atrocities that went on. And this chief asked uh, Ripahau, could he read to him what was in this gospel? And as he read to him, this chief became quite emotional because he was hearing for the first time the concept of forgiveness. He was hearing the story of the prodigal son. He was hearing the idea that letting go of uh, utu, which is what these people had been engaged in for generations, uh, would release him from uh, the, the, the need to continue down this, down this pathway. And it impacted him so much that he sought out the father of this little girl, uh, Tororii, and asked for his forgiveness. And that very act itself changed the relationships between warring tribes. That was hugely significant. But this fellow, Ripahau, continued on down towards the Kapiti coast, back to his people um, in Waikanae and Otaki, and began to gather to himself a group of young Māori, including Tamihane Te Rapraha, uh, the son of the great warrior chief Te Rapraha, and uh, his cousin Matini Tefifi. And they became excited about the uh, aspects of this gospel that he'd taken with him, and they wanted to know more. They wanted to learn more. They wanted to learn and to read and write from Ripahau. So they did this, but the tension sort of grew because it was kind of a difficult time on the Kapiti coast. So these guys went off to Kapiti Island and established their own Bible college. And in the end, uh, wanting to know more, having their own missionary, made, made their way to the Bay of Islands just as Octavius Hadfield was arriving in the country. And there's Octavius Hadfield, another young man, aged about 24 years old, a very sickly man who said he wanted to give his life to the gospel because he would rather die among the Māori people than, uh, than back in England where he'd come from. So Octavius Hadfield becomes, an, becomes another um, missionary hero of the faith, despised by many, but seen also as many as a great advocate of Māori, um, the conscience of the nation in some cases, thought he'd die at 23, lived to 92. <laughs> now, Ripahau continues to be a peacemaker, continues to work amongst his own people, preventing uh, possible warfare uh, between uh, the tribes there, but uh, Tamihana Te Raupraha and Matini Te Fifi are legends, really, in terms of what they managed to achieve in this country. Tamihana goes down to the South Island and asks for forgiveness for the atrocities conducted by his father in the lands of Naitahu, Waipunamu, and both of these guys get called up during the 18, late 1860s after the Hauhau uprising along the east coast and the peacemakers there too. They hold fast to the gospel right through to the end. Just amazing.
Cool story? Yes. I thought it was a cool story. Excellent. I love that this, this guy, I remember how, he, he gets this little gospel message and he reads it and goes, hang on a minute, we need to do something about this. He goes and seeks you know, out the, the father of this little girl, Torori, and, and brings forgiveness. And, and the ripple effect of this little gospel and this little moment changes right across the nation. He goes down and, you know, this father, Rappahau, um, yeah, to Rappahau, and uh, he goes and brings forgiveness and changes society. How cool is that? Yeah, See, we've got to live like we've been redeemed. We've got to live like this gospel thing actually matters. That this thing actually has an incredible effect on, on how we live and how we operate. That we operate with this thing of forgiveness and love. Because forgiveness, it breaks the cycle of blame, right? See, you know, when, when someone hurts you, your immediate thought is, you know, when you punch the lights out, right? Well, no, no, me, me, just a few of you. Just. <laughs> it's kind of like, okay, tit for tat. You know, when you got kids in your car and you hit me, oh, no, you hit me, you touch me first. You're looking out my window. You know, my kids are hopefully a little bit older than that now, but when they were smaller, it was like this. That's <laughs> yeah. But you get this kind of, you know, back and forth. But forgiveness is, no, 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 it has to stop here. And, and it absorbs the pain rather than, you know, transferring the pain back again. And um, forgiveness, it, it doesn't settle all the questions of blame and justice and fairness. And in fact, to the contrary, it actually evades those questions. And uh, it's turned the other cheek around that and allows relationships to start over again. You know, forgiveness has this way of saying, I'm human, I make mistakes, I want to be granted that privilege, and so I grant you that privilege as well. And, and that's what worries me about even, you know, the cancel culture we have at the moment is if you do something wrong, you get whacked down. And so, no, just forgive. People get things wrong. They do dumb stuff. We all do dumb stuff. But it, it creates a way forward, a way for peace. Let me give you the Jesus story from the Bible this morning. Okay, you ready for that? Yeah. Okay, if you've got your Bibles, go to Luke chapter 7, verse 36, verse 40. I know most of you won't. You know, Opening your phones, and it'll come up on the screen. It's all there. So Luke 7, 36 to 40. Um, it's a story. Um, Pharisee, Simon the Pharisee, and uh, we have this woman with this alabaster jar. So one of the Pharisees asked Jesus to have dinner with him. So Jesus went to his home and sat down to eat. So here's Jesus at the Pharisee's house. And it's, this is Simon. It's not Simon Peter, the, the, the disciple. It's another Simon. And it's, he wasn't hostile, he was seeking truth, and he just wanted a conversation with Jesus. And he wanted to get up and close and personal, so he invites Jesus over for a feed. And so it's all good, they're having a meal together, when verse 37 happens, and a certain immoral woman that, from that city heard that he was eating there, and she brought a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. Most scholars, as you read the story through, assume that she's, she's a prostitute a moral woman. And so her presence, as you can imagine, at the Pharisee's home um, showed, to be honest, incredible courage and determination, right, to even turn up, yeah. to walk in the door and, and get in there. And um, it, it was a bold move, yeah. bold move to be in there. But she was willing to do anything to express her love for Jesus. And here she has this little alabaster jar. So it would have been a little um, bottle, which uh, a little bit in the picture there. And it would hang around on a cord, a piece of twine around her neck, and it would be filled with expensive perfume. And um, verse 38, then she knelt behind him 
at his feet, weeping. Her tears fell on his feet, and she wiped them off with her hair, and she kept kissing his feet and putting perfume on them. And, and you can only imagine how super awkward that would be, right? Yeah. Come on. <laughs> of the awkward moments, of all awkward moments, you're having, having a meal, you're there with your mates, and suddenly this, this, this woman is there, um, and, and it's probably a fairly emotional display, right? Yeah. It's tears, it's perfume, it's, it's messy. And um, to have her hair flowing, even at that time, would have been deemed rather immodest. And, and then to be kissing his feet over and over again. Who's finding that awkward? <laughs> you know, you know, sometimes in church they, they just do that, we're going to wash your feet thing. Has anybody ever had that? That's awkward. That is so awkward. It's going like, please don't do that. Um, but this would have been a really, really awkward awkward moment. And, and the Pharisees, they're, they're totally indignant at that point. They go, oh man, what is going on here? Who invited that one? Who let her in the door? And um, so verse 39, when the Pharisee who had invited him, and saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman is touching him. She's a sinner. <laughs> okay, so he's going, come on, Jesus, you should know what's going on here. What, what are you doing? Then Jesus answered his thoughts. Simon, he said to the Pharisee, I have something to say to you. Go ahead, teacher, Simon replied. And he breaks the awkward silence by telling a story. Telling a, a, a parable, and as we know with parables, they, they reveal the heart behind the matter. So Jesus told him this story. A man loaned money to two people, 500 pieces of silver to one, and 50 pieces to the other. But neither of them could repay him, so he kindly forgave them both, cancelling their debts. Now 500 pieces of silver, or some translations it's 500 denarii. A denarii is, is a day's wage, so we're talking about, I don't know, depends on what your wage is, but 70 to 80,000 K and verses to 7 or 8k at that time. Um, both of the people in the parable, they owe money. They're both in debt. You know, it's that thing that we're all sinners. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. We, we, there's debt to be paid. Both have their debts forgiven. And, and then Jesus, as he's known to, he asks a question. Great question. Who do you suppose loved him more after that. Or in the words of the exponents, who loves who the most? <laughs> <laughs> Jesus answered, I suppose the one for whom he cancelled the larger debt. That's right, Jesus said. You've got it. And, and this should be like a, an aha revelation moment, right? This should be, ah, oh, okay. See, this is the why. This is the why behind what we're talking Why? This woman can do this incredibly extravagant act of gratefulness. See, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a heart response. And, and I was trying to think about this, this situation, and I don't think it's a plea for forgiveness. When I think about it, but it's, a, it's a thank you and acknowledgement of forgiveness. You know, when, when Jesus says to us, he says later on, he says, your sins have been forgiven, it's, it's past tense. And I was thinking about this, and my assumption from this is that she's had a previous encounter with Jesus, and she's now coming back in response. She's worked out. She's going, I'll be redeemed. I'll be forgiven. I want to do something about that. What can I do? I've got this bottle of perfume. Worth a hang of a lot, but I want to respond in this generous, extravagant, slightly crazy act of worship. 
act of thanksgiving, act, act of love at that point. And my thinking around this is, is we need to actually live extravagantly. We need to actually go, hang on, I've been redeemed. I've been set free. I've won the jackpot. I've got it. I've received grace. I've received forgiveness. See, so often we receive forgiveness. We know it. We know in our heads, right? But do we live it out? Do we actually go, hang on, I'm going to live differently. I'm going to bring forgiveness. I'm going to, you know, like, like this Tarori story, I'm going to forgive my enemies. I'm going to change how I operate. I'm going to do this. And, and we as Christians, we should be the people who live these lives of generosity, of extravagance, of blessing, of going, let's get crazy. Because when you look at this woman, you think, well, it's a, bit, it's a bit weird, it's a little bit crazy, it's a little bit awkward. But come on, she's actually doing this incredible act of love at that point. See, I've noticed that those who have been forgiven much, they understand the goodness of God's grace that they love much. You know, when, when you actually get it, you go, oh, man. You know, when you've, when you've done something stupid, something dumb, and you're forgiven, and there's that sense of oh, relief, and, oh, okay, that, that, that bond happens. And we need, to, we need to live out of that place, believe the gospel message. Then he turned to the woman, said to Simon, look at this woman kneeling here. When I entered your home, you didn't offer me water to wash the dust from my feet, but she has washed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't greet me with a kiss, but from the time I first came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head, but she has anointed my feet with rare perfume. You know, and here's and, and we can get so familiar with Jesus. You know, I think here's that. You know, I'm doing all right. I don't, I don't need to. I don't need to do that other, other stuff. You know, Simon, oh, I'm not going to wash your feet. That's beneath me. It's not my job. You know, and, and we can get that in in our Christian faith. Oh, I don't need to do that. It's not. It's not. You know, I don't, I don't need to. You know, that weird worship stuff with your hands and going. Oh, I don't need to. You know all that things in church. I'm saying, come on. It's got to be out of a heart of love. Yeah. It's got to be out of a heart of going, hey, I've been redeemed. I want to do this. I want to operate in that and come to that place of worship and love. Not just going through the motions and just familiar, but do that. In 40, verse 47, it says, I tell you her sins, they are many. See, Jesus knows that the sins are many. Okay? See, contrary to Simon's a uh, little comment at the beginning, you know, Jesus, don't you know who the kind of woman is? He knows. He knows. I tell you, her sins, and they are many, have been forgiven, so she has shown me much love. But a person who has forgiven little shows only little love. So forgiven much, loves much. See? You need to live extravagantly. Not that thing, um, it's not my job, fighting for position. I come with service. Verse 48, then Jesus said to the woman, your sins are forgiven. And the men at the table among them, themselves, who is this man that he goes around forgiving sins? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Go in peace. And, and here's this one, she's come in complete humility. And, but he didn't want her to stay there. And he, he, he lifts her up, he raises her up, and he, and he acknowledges her love. He forgives her sin, 
But then he sends her in peace. And, and when I think about it, the, the word go was probably not welcome. She was probably, I don't know whether enjoying the moment, but she was, you know, to be there close to Jesus and washing the feet. Um, she probably liked being at the feet of Jesus, but Jesus, I think he sweetened the go with, by adding in peace, right? And, but it's allowing us to move forward. That we would not just stay there at that place, but Jesus would send us there, tell us to go in peace. Is the thought behind us. See, because we can live so often as victims in that place of shame and that place of, ah, oh, should have done better, or that place of guilt, and in that cycle of blame. Or, but I love how just, no, no, get up, go. Walk in peace. Walk, in, walk out of here. You know, to, to break that cycle of blame, you know, the Utu, revenge thing. No, 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 we, 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 we've got to stand up. Stand up and go, hey, I'll find the jackpot. I'm going to walk out of this place healed, forgiven, set free with the goodness of God on my life. See, we can live in the past or we can create the future. It's the narrative which we want to, you know, we can either come and go, oh, you know, we're broken people, you know, we're burnt out from life, burnt out maybe from even church. We go, hang on a minute, no, I'll be set free. See, what if we were the, we are the redeemed? Now, I love this thing of redeemed. We the redeemed. We the redeemed. We, we the change makers. We the ones who carry the gospel. We the ones who carry the presence of God. We the ones who have the, the authority of Christ upon us. What if we said, hey, that's who we are? See, because sometimes we can, we can sit in that place in shame and think, oh, second rate. Or we can say, no, actually, I've been redeemed. See, what if we lived that we couldn't fail, that Jesus loved us? You know? Let me finish with, you, with another story. One of the greatest stories of redemption. Who likes Les Miserables? The, it was a great musical. It's a fantastic musical. But it's set in the early 19th century um, France, and it's the story of Jean Valjean. <laughs> and uh, he's, he's this French peasant, and this whole brilliant story of redemption in 19, 1815. He served 19 years in jail uh, for stealing a piece of bread and for his sister's starving children. And he's a convict. And, he, and then he gets out on parole and has to wear this, this uh, yellow badge. And, and he's shunned wherever he goes. And he cannot find regular food, shelter. And the, then the Bishop of Digne, I think that's right. My French is not very great. Third from French helped me a little bit. And, uh, <laughs> and he's there, and the bishop takes him in and, and looks after him. And, but Jean Valjean, he, he, he decides he's going to steal. So he, he takes the, the whole lot of the silver, silver, and he's out of there, and, and the police pick him up and bring him back. And then there's this incredible moment of grace and forgiveness where the bishop um, says, now, we can play it. Messieurs, l'instinct game. I commend you for your duty. Our Lord's blessing go. 
poignant moment. So he's, he's there and he's stolen the stuff and the, the bishop says, well, no, 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 I gave them to you. And he says, take the candlesticks as well and sets them free. And he goes on and, and the rest of the story plays out. How he lives his life from this moment of forgiveness, this moment, this incredible moment of redemption. And, and he goes on and I won't tell you all the story because you have to be what's the musical probably told you too much anyway. You probably watched it anyway, but it's, it's this incredible story of redemption. That God's hand on his life has been chosen and he's been set free and how's he going to live? And I think that we, we need to grab that message, this message of forgiveness and freedom, and we need to run with it. And we need to live our lives in this incredible way. Why don't we just stand as we finish this morning?